Welcome to the Bitcoin Basics podcast with your hosts, Faris and Gordon from CoinCompass.com, enabling you to safely buy and securely store your Bitcoins. All resources are in the show notes and description, including our disclaimer. Visit BitcoinBasicsPodcast.com to subscribe and discover other free content. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Bitcoin Basics podcast with your host, Gordon. That's me. And I have Faris with me as well, not only my co-host, but also the co-founder and partner of Coin Compass. So, Faris, how about we start there? Um, do you want to tell us about your particular background? Sure. So Gordon and I have known each other for over two decades now, and um, we've always gotten along quite well, and we always wanted to work together. But Gordon comes from an IT security background, which he'll tell us more about later. My background was in economics and finance. And I remember the precise day Gordon told me about Bitcoin and I had heard about it. Um, and like most people, I thought, okay, yep, whatever. Um, and I wanted to invest in it and the Mt. Gox hack happened. And like most people, I misunderstood what happened. I thought there was something wrong with the network with Bitcoin itself, not that an exchange had been hacked. Um, and then it wasn't until 2016 that I started delving into the financial and economic fundamentals of Bitcoin um, because the tech side took me a lot longer to understand. Um, but the economic um, fundamentals of Bitcoin is what really gave me that eureka moment. Because um, at the time I left my position um, working at the universities, I used to tutor and lecture in international relations. Um, I had always been an active investor in real estate, um, I started day trading derivative markets, so shares, commodities, and currencies. And in all my research, I started looking at the Bitcoin. Um, did everything wrong. Um, I was telling all my friends, buy and hold it long term. Of course, I traded in and out, in and out, in and out. So absolutely the wrong thing to do. But I really, I spent, I would say, for six months, spent four hours a day just delving into Twitter, Reddit, um, and reading as much as I could about Bitcoin, just trying to understand it. And I had a few people coming up to me saying, Ferris, I hear you're the Bitcoin guy. What is it? How can I buy it? And I remember I called Gordon and said, look, I've gotten a lot of people saying, how do I have Bitcoin? And I'm helping them out. Why do you think we start a business where we educate people about Bitcoin and how to get into it? And Gordon, he said, I was about to call you. I had the exact same idea. Great minds think alike, man. So it's, it's interesting how you came from an economics and finance background and sort of moved your way towards the technical side. I came from the technical side and moved my way towards the finance and economics. So I think a lot of people in my position and people who have a tech background, they understand the tech, but they went into the rabbit hole of, you know, what is money? What is value? Uh, looked at Austrian economics and all that kind of stuff. So that's certainly what I did. Um, I kind of understood the uh, technology behind uh, Bitcoin and the blockchain, thanks to Steve Gibson's podcast, Security Now. Huge um, plug and shout out to that. But I, I must admit, uh, from a fundamental economics point of view, I thought it you know, never amount to much, you know, a couple of dollars and whatever. Uh, but obviously, I was wrong. So, uh, yeah, my background is in uh, security and I work for one of Australia's largest banks. And so what we call InfoSec Um is is my background and and jack of all trades in terms of computing and 
I also uh, spent a couple of years teaching computer science at an international school here in Southeast Asia as well. So yeah, uh, Faris and I sort of are the perfect mix of, of two people from, I wouldn't say opposite, but two people from completely diff different disciplines, uh, mixing towards something that, you know, sort of makes sense in terms of uh, finance and um, technology, computer science. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, like, and share so we can find others like yourself. So enough about us, Faris. Uh, today's podcast is titled, Is Your Bitcoin Safe? And we've got a couple of scenarios to go through. So let's start with the obvious one. You've got your Bitcoin on an exchange. Is it safe? So this is unfortunately a difficult question to answer because it depends on the individual. Um, there are some people out there where they kind of understand what a, an exchange is. Um, and other people kind of don't really know. So I've answered a question. I've asked a question of people who say, oh, I've bought Bitcoin. I'll say, where is it? So what do you mean? I'm like, you bought it, but what did you do with it? I'm like nothing. So it's still on the exchange. They haven't realized you need to take ownership of it. You need to take custody of it. So with people who are not as, um, tech savvy, um, and that's not, you know, an insult. It's just, you know, the world of, um, fintech is moving so rapidly, it's hard to keep up. Uh, some of these people, it might actually be safer for them to leave their Bitcoins on an exchange that is insured um, if they have a very, very small amount, because if they try and move it by themselves, they could easily make a mistake and lose it. Um, we at Coin Compass, we advocate that you get your private keys off an exchange because we want you to hold them. Um, but if someone yeah, goes, oh, it's a very small amount, um, you know, I'll try by myself to do it. Uh, we'll direct them to our YouTube videos where we show them how to do it. Um, but ideally, you want to own your private keys. This is like gold. You know, you don't want your, you know, you don't keep your gold bar in your neighbor's vault. And that's the equivalent with Bitcoin. You do want to hold it. So I would say, yes, you do want to get your Bitcoins off an exchange. You want to educate yourself in doing it. Don't go and do it right away um, is a caveat is, the first investment you need to make about Bitcoin is to learn about Bitcoin. Excellent advice, Faris. And uh, obviously, you know, all these answers uh, depend. Uh, $50 and $50,000 is a completely different scenario. But in general, even if you've got a small amount, get it off the exchange, get in the habit of, um, you know, sending and receiving Bitcoin. So that... There are obvious advantages and disadvantages of exchanges. So how about you go through them first? Yeah, and that's one thing uh, Goran just mentioned there is it's actually fun to see when you move Bitcoins from one wallet to another. Like we do this in workshops and people who are Bitcoin skeptics and um, when we actually show them how you move um, a wallet from one smartphone to another, they find that fascinating. And you can then actually watch that transaction take place on the exchange. You can see how the plumbing works. And the fact that you can do that within 10 minutes is phenomenal. Um, so that is actually really exciting to, to watch. And once you're in that, that Bitcoin crypto space, you actually find getting back into everyday banking quite sluggish and boring. Um, but as far as exchanges, uh, we do recommend exchanges. We, When I say recommend, we actually review them ourselves. So we use several exchanges just for trial and error. We use wallets ourselves. 
what are we factoring when we use them? One is security. We're looking for stuff like two-factor authentication. So Gordon will look at how safe, secure, private are they? Uh, from my end, I'm looking at um, how user-friendly are they? So Gordon might say, look at this change. I really like it. It's so safe and secure. From my end, it's like, yeah, but it's not very user-friendly. Um, and that is the trade-off, which um, uh, how does that... Uh, how does it go? Gordon, it's very secure. It's not very convenient and vice versa. Yeah, there's definitely a trade-off. Security and convenience, you really, it's its extremely difficult to have something super secure and super convenient. It's, it's uh, pretty convenient to leave your door open. Uh, you don't have to carry a key, but not very secure. So um, yeah, there's a trade-off between those two. So what would you say in the end is the main advantage or advantage of keeping your Bitcoin on an exchange? The advantage is simplicity. Um, you don't have to worry about it in that um, for a lot of people, it is stressful thinking that they have, they're responsible for their investment. And this is why a lot of people who you know, are working full times, you could be you know, making six, seven figure salaries. You tend to give some of your money to someone else to invest for you. Because what you're doing is you're giving away that stress and that responsibility. So that's why some people, yep, I'll just leave it on the exchange. Um, if you do that, that's fine. Just please make sure you, the exchange is insured. Um, however, we do advise that you just learn how to do it. You learn how to manage it because too many exchanges have been hacked. Um, too many CEOs of exchanges have disappeared and no one can access those Bitcoins. And that can happen. So ideally, just learn about Bitcoin. Take the time. Um, learn how to control your private keys. Yeah, so a lot of people uh, equate exchanges to banks. It's a little bit different, but I guess an exchange is kind of like a bank. Uh, the the advantage is it's super convenient, and it's also you get support. So you know you lose your password or whatever, then you can call someone, uh, you call the exchange or, or deal with their support. But as far as mentioned, the obvious disadvantage is the exchange could get hacked. Uh, the exchange could become insolvent. They might be lending out your Bitcoin to ten different people. They could be doing fractional reserving, could be doing all kinds of stuff. So uh, if an exchange becomes insolvent, lost all your coins. And the whole purpose of Bitcoin is that it is a bearer asset, which means you take control of that asset, just like you would control a gold bar. You can bring it back into your safe or bear in your backyard. Same thing with Bitcoin. So it kind of defeats the purpose of leaving your Bitcoin on an exchange. It's not yours. You're just renting it. So is your Bitcoin safe on an exchange? Yes, no. Maybe. Maybe. It, it depends on the exchange. Um, and I don't want to give any names now because exchanges that we recommend today can change tomorrow. Yeah, I'd definitely say a maybe for that. Okay, so let's move on to our next one. And the most, I guess, after an exchange, the most popular way to store your Bitcoin. And of course, your Bitcoins are stored on the blockchain. So that you're not really storing them anywhere. You're storing what is called the private keys, the passwords that enable you to spend that Bitcoin. And the next one is a desktop wallet. So that could be a, um, Windows or Linux or Mac or a mobile wallet. So is your Bitcoin safe if you store it on a desktop or mobile wallet? So with that, maybe just a point of clarification here, Gordon. Are your private keys stored on the blockchain or recorded on the blockchain? Your private keys are stored in uh, whichever device. So if you've got a Bitcoin wallet, whether that's an exchange 
a mobile wallet or a hardware wallet, your private keys are stored on that device. Yep. Your public keys, what, what is your Bitcoin address, is stored on the blockchain. Yeah, that's the reason I bring this up. It's because this is something that people use it to work the blockchain thinking that blockchain is like a vault or a bank where the Bitcoins are held. It isn't. Blockchain is essentially a spreadsheet reporting transactions from Bitcoin wallets. Um, so that's why I, yeah, I'm, I'm learning to get a bit more pedantic with the language that we use in this industry. Um, so the blockchain records transactions of of Bitcoins moving from one wallet to another. It does not store them. It does not store private keys. Those are held in wallets. So we're looking at what type of wallets. Um, so sorry, I'll take it to ask me a question again, Gordon. What were you asking me about wallets? Is uh, storing your Bitcoin, which as we just mentioned, it's really your private keys on mm -hmm. a desktop or mobile wallet. Is it safe? Um, so again, this depends on the user case. So the beauty of a desktop or mobile wallet um, is convenience. If you need to access your private keys, which enables you to you know, send your Bitcoins, you can do it very easily off your phone. Um, it's so simple, so quick. Scan a QR code, get an email or text from someone, get their Bitcoin, a wallet, send someone. It's, it is the equivalent of you know, uh, cash in your back pocket. And that's how safe it would be. Uh, if you lose your phone, um, A, do you have the ability to erase that phone, but also back up that wallet, um, back up and restore it. So you kind of want to know what you're doing. It's like, okay, if I lose my phone, that means I've lost a Bitcoin on this phone. Can I log in remotely, disable my phone, get a new phone and restore my Bitcoin wallet with those Bitcoins on it? This is something that you can do, but you want to make sure that you've educated yourself in doing that before you keep any significant amount of Bitcoins or any amount of Bitcoins or Satoshis on a wallet. So the reason you would do those is if you are using Bitcoins regularly, um, if you're, I don't know, traveling or sending them to people, if you're running a business and you're paying, paying people or um, paying credit notes or anything via um, crypto, that's where you'd use those things. They are not a good long-term store solution. They are a short-term convenient solution. Excellent. Yeah, as you explain, think of it like your normal wallet. You don't go out to a restaurant with um, you know, your entire uh, $10,000 worth of investment in your back pocket. So that's what a mobile or a desktop wallet is. And there are different kinds of wallets. And one of the main differences between the two is what we call custodial and non-custodial. So custodial wallets mean the developer or third party actually controls your private keys. Non-custodial means that developer has made it so that they can't actually um, control your private keys. So obviously we recommend non-custodial wallets. Even if you have a small, suggest small investment, like Ferris suggested, get into the habit of using non-custodial wallets. You are controlling your Bitcoin, even if it's a small investment. And um, so the obvious uh, pros of that is that, you know, mobile wallets are convenient. We have a mobile wallet in our pocket. We use it for everything. So um, using a non-custodial wallet, super convenient. But the obvious drawbacks to that, and that's why we don't recommend storing a lot of Bitcoin in there, is that you're also using that mobile wallet to play Candy Crush. You're also using it to check email and do other stuff and installing all kinds of apps. So all it takes is one malicious app, and there are many 
um, apps on iOS and Android, like a Bitcoin widget or a ticker to show the price or your portfolio, that is actually malware and it will uh, steal from funds from your wallet. And that's the huge disadvantage. You have to be really disciplined about what you download and what you use because that convenience certainly comes at a price if you accidentally download the wrong app. So is Bitcoin safe on a desktop or mobile wallet? I'll answer that, maybe. Do you have a question about Bitcoin? Coincompass.com slash ask to record your question and we'll answer it on an upcoming episode. So whether your question is technical, non-technical, economic, political, fundamental, it doesn't matter. There is no question too basic or too complicated for the Bitcoin Basics podcast. Coincompass.com slash ask. So Gordon, another option is the ones we've talked about are basically tech or plugged in wallets. So these are accessible online. Um, one option is you can, you can actually get your private keys offline. Um, so tell us some of the options of getting your private keys offline. What kind of wallet would you use and what are the benefits to those? So this became popular almost straight away in the Bitcoin world of something that's called a paper wallet. There is also something called a steel wallet, but they act in the same way. And that is to use a secure computer. So a computer that's not connected to the internet, something that we call air-gapped. And basically to generate a Bitcoin address and you know, your public key and your private key. So your private key is not stored on an exchange. Your private key is not stored on a mobile wallet like our last two scenarios. It's actually stored on a physical piece of paper or a, a piece of steel. You might say, well, that's insane. You know, anyone looking at it can simply get your private key. Yes, but the trade-off is that that is completely offline. So you don't have to worry about viruses. You don't have to worry about hacking. And for some people, that's a fantastic way to secure significant amounts of Bitcoin. The obvious pros to that is that it's completely offline. So you don't have to worry about upgrading your um, mobile phone or computer and hacking and malware or phishing scams or anything like that. But the obvious disadvantage is that a physical attacker, someone who actually comes into your house, uh, you could have a fire or an earthquake or a flood or some of that damages your wallet in that sense. Or you might move house and you know you leave your uh, $20,000 worth of Bitcoin on a paper wallet in your bookshelf and you accidentally sell that book or that, uh, that book gets damaged or, or whatnot. So there are advantages and disadvantages with all these scenarios that were mentioned, but a paper or steel wallet, and the obvious advantage to a steel wallet is you actually imprint your private key onto a piece of steel, which is more durable than a piece of paper. And by the way, that takes around about an hour to do that. So you don't wanna do that too often. And you put that somewhere safe. You put it in your personal safe at home or somewhere secure in, in your house. And really the only risk is someone physically coming into your house and, and stealing it, or as I mentioned before, a fire or an earthquake. So that is another possibility. That is something quite popular with some of the hardcore Bitcoin cypherpunks out there. And uh, they want to keep their Bitcoin completely offline. So with that option, Gordon, is it you are transferring your private keys onto a steel card? Um, 
And you would you have to go through that process every time you send or receive Bitcoins from that wallet? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's we, we mentioned the word wallet. There's no software or anything involved in mm-hmm. it. It's a piece of paper, piece of steel. You generate it ideally once. So you generate your public address and your private address once. You imprint that onto your piece of steel or paper. And that's where it is. Um, you can add to it. So for example, if you acquired more Bitcoin, you don't want to change that address. You simply add or deposit more Bitcoin to that address. But obviously, if you ever wanted to sell that or cash out, you would then have to transfer it to an exchange or some kind of wallet. So it's obviously something that you don't want to do too often. You know, It's your long-term investment, maybe even your retirement investment or something that you want to pass on to your heirs. It is definitely a long-term solution. Uh, so that is yeah, what I would call a legacy coin. It's something that you know, 20, 30 years, you don't want to do any, anything with. Is there something um, in between where we've got the convenience of a mobile desktop wallet, um, but also maybe um, just the security of one of those cold wallets? Is there an option in the middle there? Yeah, absolutely. And probably the most popular wallet, especially with people with significant amounts of money, is a hardware wallet. And they can vary in size and shape, and some of them look, just look like a USB key. And what it is, and remember what a hardware wallet is doing, is storing our private keys. So that you know, long string of numbers, a private key. And if you've got several Bitcoin addresses, you've got several private keys. And so a Bitcoin wallet sort of manages that for you. Well, the problem with storing your private keys on exchange, as we mentioned, is obviously the uh, risk of um, insolvency or hacks. The problem with storing it on a software or desktop wallet is um, you know, viruses, malware, or, or hacking. And so what a hardware wallet does, it sort of provides the best of both worlds. It provides the convenience, but it also provides the storing and especially the generating of private keys on what is called a secure element. And what that is, unlike a USB key, what it is is a secure sort of like a secondary CPU that it stores that information into. So even if you plugged a hardware wallet into your Windows 7 computer that is riddled with viruses and malware and all kinds of stuff and you play Candy Crush on it and it's just absolutely horrible mess, even plugging it into that wouldn't mean that your Bitcoins are compromised. It's a separate device which provides security at a hardware level, not at a software level. Yeah, I personally do like the options of hardware wallets. Um, For one, uh, there's a demographic thing there where um, we've seen baby boomers are a bit skeptical of Bitcoin because they don't understand, they think it's just digital, Um, you can't touch it. Whereas you show them a hardware wallet, it gives them that sense of security. Um, and it is, I like the fact that there are two ways of using it. So in a sense, like the cold storage method on a cold car or piece of paper, if you lose that, it's gone. With a hardware wallet, you have backup seats, where if you lose a hardware wallet, you can buy a new one and regenerate it. That gives me a bit of comfort knowing that you can do that. And it does with uh, other clients we've worked with. Uh, what are your pros and cons as far as a uh, hardware wallet scored I think you mentioned most of them. So the the obvious pro is that it's convenient. It's more convenient than a steel wallet. 
And it's more secure, I would say, than a desktop wallet or a mobile wallet because you don't have to worry about viruses and hacking so much. Um, and so you've reduced the amount of vulnerabilities, the amount of ways that could be attacked. The disadvantage, and this is something that um, is just a reality, is that you still have 12 or 24 words, depending on the manufacturer, to secure. So you have your cold um, storage device, your hardware wallet. You have this notion of a seed phrase, and we've discussed that many times before, which is basically 24 words. So if you ever lose your Trezor, Ledger, or cold card, your hardware wallet, you can just simply buy another one and restore your private keys using those 24 words. But now, instead of having your Bitcoins on exchange or having your Bitcoins on a paper or steel wallet, now you have two things to secure. You have your hardware wallet and your 24 words. Ideally, you don't want to have those two things in the same place for obvious reasons. But still, even with that disadvantage, you are reducing a lot of single points of failure. I guess the, um, the only other risk or downside, I would say, is some kind of manufacturing error. So uh, you may have a bug. The manufacturer might have a bug in the software or an update, or there may have been some sort of supply chain attack or whatever. That's fairly rare, but there are other ways to, to mitigate against that. So I would say um, a hardware wallet for most people, actually the pros outweigh the cons. And it's a sort of a good trade-off or a good balance between pretty good security. And yeah, it's, it, it is fairly convenient. Thanks, Warden. So all the options we've discussed so far are individual investors buying Bitcoin for themselves. There is another component in Bitcoin right now, and that is institutional investing, where someone else is buying Bitcoin on your behalf. So with that, it's I will give a fund manager or a hedge fund my money. They will buy Bitcoin for me. They will hold it for me. I've alleviated myself of that responsibility. But how do I make sure that they just don't run away with my Bitcoins? I kind of would like to know, hang on, you know. I may have given $50,000 worth of Bitcoin today. That could be worth $5 million in a few years' time. How do I know they're just not going to run away with investor funds? What kind of security can I have? Is there an option like that available? Yeah, and then I guess that's the same as exchange. If you've got a significant, huge investment, a large investment, leaving an exchange, uh, there's no guarantee that the exchange won't just um, do an exit scam and leave, leave your coins, which has actually happened. Same thing with investor. I guess from a business perspective, um, investment companies are built on reputation. So, you know, if they start stealing customers' funds, then that's probably obviously not a good thing and a, and a time to uh, get your coins out of there. But uh, there is a solution. And so this is a um, popular solution. It's called multi-sig. And multi-sig is basically you have several devices. So you don't just have one hardware device or one paper wallet. You have multiple and it takes multiple devices to actually spend your Bitcoin. And the most popular of those is what is called a two or three multi-sig. So for example, you have uh, three hardware wallets, you set up a multi-sig Bitcoin address. And basically it means that in order to spend your Bitcoin, you need two of three devices to actually sign that or basically approve it. So if you have a significant amount of Bitcoin or at an investor or a third party, you could do the same thing. They could hold one of those devices, you hold the other two, and basically they can't uh, run away with your funds. And it also gives you some security in that if you have a significant investment on a single hardware device, 
what happens if there's a bug in the software and a manufacturer error? You kind of lost everything. So um, a lot of people are going to ask sort of what is the best solution? Um, perhaps, Faris, what, what is the best solution? We've gone through a lot of the scenarios and pros and cons, but at the end of the day, what should people do? So with this, um, and I'll censor doesn't frustrate anyone, but it is unique to the individual because you, it depends on the sizing of your investment, how much you're putting in the Bitcoin and your time horizon. Are you day trading it or is it going to be a legacy coin that you're going to pass down you know, one, two, three generations? It depends. And there are, there's a huge thing that we actually haven't discussed, which we do um, is a key component to what we do. And that is your security hygiene. Um, Gordon alluded to this earlier, InfoSec and OPSEC. And one of the worst things you can do is go, yep, I know how to buy Bitcoin. I know what wallet I'm going to move it into. But you're using a computer that could be littered with um, bugs or malware. And even though you, what you are doing is right, you're doing it on a device that is not the right tool for it. So that's actually step number one that we teach people is, yeah, how you um, protect yourself online so things like you know setting up password managers vpns these are what we get you to do before you buy bitcoin so because with buying bitcoin there's three steps there's um setting yourself up securely to be secure online the hygiene practices um and then there's buying bitcoin and then there's controlling your private keys so there's both three steps they're all just as important one as the other um so a, you actually need to have a custody plan as well. Um, what happens if you know you get hit by a bus tomorrow and you're in a coma? Does your next of kin or your estate manager know that you own Bitcoins? Do they know how to get them? There are so many things that you need to factor in here. So one is um, you need to have a business plan. You need to have a Bitcoin custody plan because there's so many layers involved in doing this properly. Um, I could go on and on about several different things here, Gordon, so I don't want to, but is there anything I should mention, anything you want to mention here? I think you covered it quite well, and I just came up with a simple list because everyone asked me, you know, what, what should I do? And uh, I've, as you mentioned, um, I'm repeating you, but it's worth repeating. Um, firstly, you've got to upgrade your security hygiene, upgrade your uh, InfoSec is what we call and your privacy as well, your OPSEC, because your physical address or your physical location could be compromised, and that's potentially just as important as, as your Bitcoin as well. So step one, upgrade your security hygiene. Before you do anything, before you buy Bitcoin, before you download your Bitcoin wallet onto your virus-ridden Windows computer, and then step two, assess your risk. Like how likely is it that a physical intruder is going to come into your house? You might live in a, in a great neighborhood, and that's extremely unlikely. Or you might be traveling and someone like myself, I travel a lot. And so, for example, having a paper wallet is not practical. I don't want to have a paper wallet in my in backpack. So everyone's security um, risk assessment is going to be different. And you need to basically come up with what is more likely um, from theft, from hacking, but also from user error. How competent are you? Can you use a mobile phone, desktop computer, hardware wallet? Or would you prefer a more basic or perhaps low-tech solution? So there's no one size fits all. And then as far as said, come up with your own Bitcoin custody plan. Here are the threats. Here are the solutions. And the solutions probably are unique to everyone. And they involve something like a multi-sig. And it's going to involve a combination of what we've discussed already. It might not be three hardware 
devices. It might not be a paper wallet. It might be a combination of all three. You've got, you know, a little bit on a hardware wallet, a little bit on a paper wallet, a little bit on this and some sort of multi-sig solution to reduce single points of failure, single points of failure, like the manufacturer. Uh, I've heard someone who's got $100,000 of Bitcoin and that decided to buy 10 ledgers. And so they decided to put $10,000 on 10 separate ledgers, thinking that that spread their risk around. What we have done is made the problem infinitely worse because that one manufacturer might have a bug, but also now you've got 10 um, seeds, 10, 24 words that you have to protect instead of one. So yeah, spreading, spreading the risk and what we call risk mitigation is, is super important. And last but not least, estate planning. You know, if something happened to you, um, maybe not even death, maybe you're in hospital, you, you got amnesia or whatnot. Do your heirs know where your Bitcoin is? And more importantly, do they know how to access it? They might know that you've got a ledger hardware device, but if they don't have the private key or the pin to access it, you know, it's it's kind of useless. So come up with your own Bitcoin custody plan. And uh, here's where we put our ad, uh, Faris. If people wanted to create their own Bitcoin custody plan and needed help with it, where should they go? Oh, very simple. Go to coincompass.com forward slash help. And this is essentially what we do. Um, we help people securely buy Bitcoin and keep it safe. Yeah, so if you've made it this far, um, visit coincompass.com slash help, as, as Farah said, and, and we can help you out. Um, shoot us an email either, even if you're not going to use our services, we're more than happy to help people with questions. Um, and last but not least, uh, please subscribe and follow and share our podcast, bitcoinbasicspodcast.com. Not only has access to our podcast platforms, YouTube and, and whatnot, but also has links to stuff like our video series where we did a whole series on improving your security hygiene. So you can follow that. One more thing, we also have an upcoming Q&A. So if you have a question, it could be about Bitcoin custody. It could be about anything whatsoever relating to Bitcoin. Coincompass.com slash ask, and we will answer it on an upcoming episode. Thanks, Faris. Thanks, everyone, for sticking with us. And our answer may have been annoying. Is your Bitcoin safe? It depends, maybe. Um, but hopefully we've given you some things to think about. Now, especially with the price increase, it's time to take your Bitcoin custody seriously. And that's basically where Faris and I and Coincompass can help. Thanks for watching or listening. Please visit coincompass.com free to register to our socials and discover other free content. Subscribing, liking, and following helps this content remain ad-free. Until next time.